Welcome to Beyond Borders, the world's first talk show made especially for English learners and global citizens with me, your host, Ethan. In every episode of this show, it is my job to guide you outside of the classroom and into the real world with life-changing insights from some of the world's best teachers, language learners, innovators, and leaders, all here to help you unleash your highest potential in your English and your life. So if you are ready to join our movement of millions and together create a world beyond borders, then let's get started with the show. Gabrielle Oettingen is a professor of psychology and author originally from Germany. She has been teaching at New York University and the University of Hamburg for more than 20 years. Her research focuses on the science of motivation and explains why positive thinking alone is not enough to achieve our goals. Upon more than 25 years of research, she developed a goal achievement strategy called WHOOP. WHOOP stands for Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, and Plan. This empirically-based approach focuses on helping people to connect to their biggest wishes, clarify the desired outcome, identify the obstacles that may stand in the way, and set a realistic plan in just 10 minutes or less. So I first heard about Gabrielle's work three years ago, and I found it immensely helpful for setting goals. This time of year, many of us are thinking about what new objectives we want to achieve, so I was thrilled to be able to get Gabrielle on. With Gabrielle's advice, you can make this the year that you actually achieve some of your deepest desires, be it English fluency, weight loss, better health, a new job, or even less anxiety. Gabrielle shared with me a bit about how she ended up in the USA and some surprising cultural differences whether she still finds it challenging communicating in English, why the advice to be optimistic or think positively may not always be to your benefit, how you can use WHOOP to identify the right goals for this new year and actually achieve them, when you should use WHOOP to be the most successful and plenty of examples, how we can deal with risk aversion, how you can use WHOOP to be a better parent, and so much more. I'm so excited to bring you Gabrielle's work and wisdom, and I hope you find it as helpful as I have. Let's jump into episode 23 of Beyond Borders. So, Gabrielle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, it's really exciting to have you on because your method has helped me so much uh, in, in my life. It's helped us with Real Life English, with our business. Uh, I think it's a really revolutionary and really practical uh, method that people can used to, you know, really apply to any sort of goal setting that they have. And I think that's perfect timing having you on the show being that this will be coming out at the beginning of 2022. So people I'm sure are already thinking about the big changes they want to make in the year. To start off, our audience, I think will be pretty interested because you're originally from Germany, but you're living at least most of the time in the United States. And if I'm not mistaken, you first moved to the USA on a MacArthur grant. Is that right? Well, it was in the late 80s. And um, I, I did my postdoc um, in Philadelphia, and I was sponsored by MacArthur. And I'm still grateful for them um, to them that um, that I had a very um, intense and good time, and I learned a lot just by living in a different culture. I can imagine. And what was that decision like for you when you got the opportunity to go to the USA? Was it like uh, enthusiastic? Yes. Were you scared at all? Well, you're always scared if you if you go out of the comfort zone. Um, but I really wanted to go. 
um, because I've, I've realized that this um, provides opportunities which I wouldn't have had in Europe. And so, so I really wanted to go. And one of the things I was curious about was how was your English at that point, the first time you came to the United States? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, it, it, it was good for daily life, but it was not good for a more sophisticated conversation. And I suffered from that um, quite a while, actually. Um, it wasn't easy at the beginning. Did you have any tactics that helped you to get more accustomed to you know, living in the United States, adapting to a new culture, adapting to speaking a different language every day? I didn't have whoop yet. So yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't have a, a kind of strategy I could sort of consciously apply, which then helps me more consciously to do the things I wanted to do. But but I was very curious. I always was very curious about, um, you know, what the same things could be done in different ways. So I, I always felt this is really kind of fantastic to see. And it was nice because even shopping was fun because it was different. And um, and you needed to learn a lot of new venues and um, the food was different and the people were different and everything mm-hmm. was different. It was great. Yeah. Uh, actually, my first experience living outside of the United States was in Germany. Oh, no, really? Oh, this is so nice. Yeah. <laughs> In the very dead center near Göttingen. Okay. And uh, it was a really incredible experience as well. And I think really awoke that curiosity in me. But it's funny you say like about even going to the store was kind of an adventure because I had the same feeling there, you know, just going and seeing all the different products, all the, like obviously all different brands, German brands and everything. And uh, my favorite section, of course, was like the chocolate section because German chocolate is infinitely better than American chocolate. And uh, yeah, just, uh, I think adapting to that life, I was, they placed me in a very small village. So everything was really in German all the time. And I would bet that the experience for you was probably the opposite for me in the the sense that when, if you uh, grow up in the US and the United States, and then you go over to Europe, everything seems smaller, right? Like smaller cars, smaller roads, uh, old cities with like the, the little alleyways and in the opposite sense, I imagine everything seems really big, right? Usually when Europeans come over to the United States, it's like there's all this space everywhere. There's big parking lots. There's humongous cars and trucks and whatnot. Yeah, that's a, that's very true. Um, everything was big. Yeah. Even the trees were bigger than in, in, in Germany. So everything was big. Um, and space was was had a different dimension mm-hmm. um, than, than I was used in, in, in Germany. Um, so, so, but, but I'm curious, um, how was your German when you went to Germany? When I went to Germany, uh, I'd been studying in high school for three years. And when I arrived, no one could really understand me because they never taught me in school how to actually like pronounce things in German. So I was pronouncing them as if I would say them in English. And so at the very beginning, I would be writing things down a lot for people. And then they would tell me, you know, this is how you actually pronounce it. And then I learned the correct pronunciation. And I learned a lot in those six months because I, the only time I spoke English really in that six month period was because, uh, when I'd have my monthly phone calls to talk to my family. But other than that, really everything in life was, was in German, but that was, um, like 11 years ago now, so most of it's gone since I didn't really maintain it, unfortunately. No, but if you go if you go back to Germany, it will come super quickly again. Yeah. So um, it's 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 really sort of such a good way to to learn a language is just to um, speak it. And you know, sometimes I wish um, 
my family was also American because then um, my English would be better. I think at the end of the years in, in, in the end of the 80s, I think my English was better than it is now because um, um, I just spoke English. There, was, mm-hmm. there were no, no German people around. Yeah. Now at, at home, do you usually, because you live in New York, but uh, I believe your husband's also German. So do you speak a lot of German when you're at home? Yeah, at home we only speak German. So <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so that's um, that's not so easy to keep up both languages. Then, if if you if you speak so much of your native language, um, it keeps you in the in the spirit of the native um, of the native language, and and you are not so um, eager also to to learn the other language. But it's fine. Yeah. But it's, it's very true in the sense that um, it brings so many opportunities when you're able to speak another language, especially English, because I, I don't know, it's amazing that that you start out studying in Germany and now you're a professor in New York City. It's just such a cool thing that uh, opportunity that you could have in life because um, you've been able to to master the language at least to a, a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, English is a great opportunity for um, moving around the world because it is really the, the the world language, and this is so nice. I mean, we speak English to all the people with whom we Zoom, and we Zoom <laughs> now, um, you know, really completely around the world, and um, and it it gives us the possibility of of communicating, um, which is which is a, an incredible chance of our times now. Most definitely. And one other curious th- uh, thing that I was curious about is when you're in the United States, because I think you spend some time in Germany still during the holidays and stuff, but when you're in the United States, what do you most miss from Germany? Oh, that's a good question. What do I most miss? My friends, I guess, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this kind of being sheltered and being home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably what I miss most. Um, but at the same time, you know, I do enjoy the, the kind of the space and the freedom and the, and the, and the other, um, context which you can still discover. And, um, so I, I, I do enjoy the, both really being home and then at the same time also being, being out. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're still discovering new things about American culture, about the United States? Oh, enormously. You know, you go in a, um, in a, in a different context and it's all new. Mm-hmm. And New York City in particular, certainly it's all new when you, um, when you go out there. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's really great because you can switch between the cultures, um, you know, within 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's a great city. Yeah, New York City is so cool because you're walking on the street and you could walk like three blocks and hear maybe five different languages. So it's really a, a melting pot of of the United States. One thing that we're told a lot throughout our lives is to be optimistic, to keep our head up, to think positively. And something that I've seen from your research is that it seems that although that can be a good thing, it's not necessarily enough just to be optimistic. So I wanted to ask you, uh, a bit about that, and in your opinion, or from what you've seen in your research, do pessimists or optimists tend to be more successful? Okay, this is probably a question which you can't answer because um, you need to really look at it a little bit more differentiated. You might want to mm-hmm. say 
successful in what. Um, so, mm. so, you know, we are told to um, think positively. So if we want to um, kind of put us temporary in a good mood, by all means, think positively. For that is this positive thinking about the future, the daydreaming and the wishful thinking really good. But when it comes to implementing these wishes, um, then these positive fantasies and daydreams can be a real impediment. Um, so um, what we find, for example, is that um, actually in, in, in more or less all domains of life, um, that the more positively people think about the future in terms of their daydreams and, and fantasies, um, the less effort they put into fulfilling their wishes and reaching their daydreams. So, for example, you have um, kind of weight reduction program, and the people who have enrolled in that, the more positively they uh, fantasize about being successful um, in losing weight, um, the less well they did, um, the fewer pounds they shed three months later and a year later and um, also two years later, or take university graduates, the more positively they fantasized about an easy transition into work life, the fewer um, dollars they earned um, two years later, and um, the fewer uh, offers they had gotten, and also the fewer applications they had sent out. And, and in the area of romantic relationships, for example, the more positively people who have a crush on someone and fantasize about getting together with that person, the less likely it is that they actually approach that person and, and get together with him or her. I imagine for our audience, for a lot of people who are learning English and whatnot or learning languages, probably the same thing. The more that you fantasize about being fluent in that language, the I'm sure that the, the research hasn't actually been done, but I imagine too, it's probably the same thing that a lot of those people might might fail on that if they're not actually uh, bringing it down to earth with something like uh, what we're going to talk about today. Exactly. And, you know, even with, with hip replacement surgery patients, the more positively they fantasized mm -hmm. about recovering from the surgery, um, the less well they did in terms of moving their joint and walking stairs and and also um, general recovery as judged by the physical therapist. So it seems these positive fantasies and daydreams about the future, they're, they're good as a temporary bandage. And actually that's what we find. We find the more positively people fantasize about the future, the less depressed they are at the moment. But over time they get more depressed because, or partly because um, of this low effort and, and low success in terms of their achievements. So it seems that these positive fantasies and daydreams, um, they're great for some things, but then they're not so great um, when it comes to actually implementing them in, in real life. Yeah. So when it comes to something that you're actually not just fantasizing about or daydreaming about, but something that you actually care about making a reality, it's important to have other strategies, right? That's exactly what we were asking. We were asking, you know, why is it then really that these positive fantasies and daydreams, that they have these um, problematic um, consequences? And we did um, a, a, a series of experiments and we, mm -hmm. we induced these positive fantasies and daydreams in people 
as compared to negative fantasies, which are the control groups, or factual thoughts, or question fantasies, or no thoughts, or irrelevant thoughts. And, um, and what we find is that in the group where we induce the positive fantasies about the future, um, that they feel accomplished. So people felt accomplished. They had experienced these positive fantasies and daydreams. They had experienced the desired events of the future already in their mind. And that um, made them feel already sort of, you know, I'm, I'm there. Um, and that sapped their energy. And you can measure that by um, systolic blood pressure going down. Um, or you, you just ask people and say, you know, um, how energetic do you feel with respect to realizing these um, daydreams and fantasies? And, um, and people are less energized. You know? They have the feeling they're already there. And, and you ask me now, is it better to be optimistic or pessimistic? Well, you could say, okay, you know, forget these positive fantasies and daydreams. Just, um, just let's not do it anymore. Um, let's just, you know, have these negative fantasies and daydreams. But that's not a solution um, out of many respects. But one um, respect why this is not a solution is that we found that these positive fantasies and daydreams they stem from our needs. So they are an expression from something which we don't have or we're lacking in. And if that's the case, then these positive fantasies and daydreams, um, they are important to remind us that we want to satisfy these needs, these states of um, what we lack. And therefore, we need to take them really seriously. So we did, for example, experiments where we asked people to please come to the lab, but not to drink any water four hours beforehand. And then we gave them a lot of salty pretzels. So they were really, really thirsty. Um, and half of them got then fresh water to drink. Um, and the other half, um, they were kept thirsty. And then we simply had them fantasize about the future. And what we find is that those who were kept thirsty, well, who is surprised, positively fantasized about getting to the water fountain and um, drinking really good um, fresh water. Um, and you you can also do that with psychological means. You can, we, we did experiments, for example, where we um, kind of made people aware of, of lack of meaning in their life. And what they then mm -hmm. fantasized about in positive terms is um, to get a more meaningful job. So their wishful thinking was geared towards getting a more meaningful job. Or if you deprive people of um, interpersonal relationships, then they positively fantasize about getting together with the phrase. So it is then that these positive fantasies and daydreams, that they are important and we should take them seriously because they are an expression from what we need, from what we are lacking. So they give action the direction. So we can't just sort of say, let's be just, um, you know, negative thinking, so pessimism mm -hmm. is better. We, we need to talk about the definition of pessimism and positive thinking. So that, that's a little bit more, more complex than I say now. But the important point here is that we need to take these positive fantasies and daydreams seriously. And we need to really kind of, um, kind of feel for them or fish for them. Um, the only problem is that they zap our energy. 
So yeah. what do we do now? And that's the question we were asking. That makes perfect sense. One of the things I was even wondering there with uh, while you were explaining that is if those fantasies, if they're pointing to some deeper need. So maybe a lot of people fantasize, for example, about driving a Ferrari and, you know, they want to have that bright, shiny car and everything. But I wonder if oftentimes those fantasies aren't actually if it's uh, masking in some sense, the actual deeper need there. And for with that example of the Ferrari or something, maybe it's not actually that you want to be driving the car. You you want that sensation of being able to go really fast on the highway or something like that. But what you actually want is maybe what it would bring you, like people being impressed or, you know, being able to get a girlfriend or a boyfriend because you, you know, you have this cool car or something like that. So um, it's kind of interesting to dig into that. Exactly. And that's the reason why um, when we later talk about the, the strategy of, of wish, mm -hmm. outcome, obstacle, and plan, the, the whoop strategy, is that we ask people for the first step for the wish, think about think about what you really want. What is it that you really want? Um, and then they might come up and say, I want to drive a Ferrari. But then when you ask them, what is it that you really want? Um, they will get in touch with their needs and say, well, Maybe I want to have more recognition. So it's important to understand that really concretely, what is it that's missing from you? So it's interesting. I used to do an exercise with some of my students where, because the same thing you'll hear from a lot of learners, uh, English people learning English, they say, I want to be able to speak English fluently because that's kind of something that they've been told their whole life is you need to speak English fluently. And so that tends to be the wish that most people have. But when you dig deeper, it's generally because of something, you know, it might be because they want to be able to get a better job. They might want to go live in the United States or the UK or something like that. They might just want to be able to travel and, you know, be able to interact with people without having uh, cultural barriers, without having language barriers. Um, and so I used to do an exercise where I would have them ask themselves why, the question why, at least five times. So really digging deeper into, okay, you want to be fluent in English, but let's get into what's the very specific reason. And people would get to all sorts of different things. It might be, I had one student who, you know, it is because he wants to get a better job, but it's because he wants to provide a better life for his kids. Or you had another student that wanted to be able to connect with other people and want to have friends from all over the world, not just be limited to their local, the small town that they, that they lived in. So it's kind of interesting when you do that, uh, you might see that what you want is not actually what you really want deep down. Exactly. And it's super interesting that you say that because this is exactly how we dig deeper than to the wish and we also dig deeper to the obstacle. One of the, the things that's really interesting there too, I think, is that oftentimes maybe you think you want a Ferrari or something like that, which would be for a lot of people very difficult to obtain. It's very expensive. Uh, but if you do that deeper digging, then you might find out that actually you need something simpler. It doesn't need to be something, you know, that grandiose to be able to fill that deeper need. Exactly. And, and that's actually what, what is happening also during the pandemic. So that people sort of say, mm. you know, I really want to travel the world. I want to go, I don't know, to, to Thailand or to Australia or to, to Brazil or something. And then when you really dig deeper, um, and really understand what your wish in, in reality is, um, then you might be actually very happy and very um, eager um, um, to go uh, to some area in the United States or wherever you live um, where you haven't been yet and where you can explore. So, so, so that's, that's, um, that's exactly it. So you want to understand what is behind um, the wish mm -hmm. that is sort of coming to mind um, quickly. 
And that's the reason why we also say this exercise um, is it, it needs to be really kind of kind of slow and, and you need to have some uninterrupted time. We need to you know focus because you can't you can't find deeper wishes if if you do um, double tasking or if you do your emails or and you really need to focus. Yeah. That's uh, the great thing is that it's a pretty quick exercise, uh, which I want to get into. I want, uh, but before I was just going to point to something else that I've heard uh, a lot in your research that comes up called mentally contrasting. And so I, I thought I'd ask you, you know, what exactly is that and why is it important? Exactly. So, so that's then the next step, which we did. So we, we discovered that positive fantasies and daydreams, wishful thinking about the future, is important because it gives action the direction, but it zaps the energy, and, and you can you can actually measure that by that the, that the blood pressure goes down. No? It really takes the energy away. So these um, these positive fantasies make people accomplished and lose energy. Okay, so now you need to find a, a possibility of um, having both the direction to act and the energy to go in that direction. And that's what mental contrasting is all about. It's mental contrasting of the positive future, of the desired future. And we already talked about that. These are these positive fantasies and daydreams about the future, which surrounds a, 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 a true wish. And then um, you complement these positive fantasies and daydreams with thoughts about what's in the way. What is in the way that I tackle that wish and um, experience this outcome of having fulfilled my wish? So what is in the way there? What is it in me that is actually um, an impediment? What, what might stop me from actually doing it? And that's the obstacle, the obstacle in me that stands in the way of realizing my wishes. And that's mental contrasting. Mental contrasting of the positive future gives action the direction. And then looking at the obstacle tells me I'm not there yet. Um, so it gives me the energy to really understand, okay, I need to get over that. And by facing the obstacle, the obstacle in me, by really looking the obstacle in the face, um, I recognize what I can do to overcome that obstacle. So, mental contrast of the positive future with the obstacle of reality, with the negative reality in the form of the obstacle in me, gives you both the direction to act and the energy to act. Um, and then it also provides the idea of what I can do to overcome my obstacle. Now, if I feel, okay, this is an obstacle that I can overcome, then I will fully commit. Then I will say, okay, now I know where I need to go. I need to go uh, in the direction of wish fulfillment, and that's my obstacle, and now I focus on the obstacle, and I'll do some of that. It could be that your obstacle is such that you say, no, that's too costly, um, or that's just too aspirational, or that's not the right time in my life that I tackle that obstacle, or the obstacle is simply not surmountable. And then you can either adjust the wish 
or you can postpone it to a better point in time or you are more ready to do it, or you just let go. And that is important because now, after letting go, you can actually put your energy in more promising and more feasible other projects. So the idea is that you clean up your life. For some wishes, you really go. You full-heartedly say, love it, yes, I will do that. And for the other ones, you say, okay, I've thought about it. The obstacle is such that it's too costly or maybe it's not so attractive after all. Or maybe it's just not so multiple, so I don't waste my energy to try to conquer that obstacle. And instead, I turn to other more promising projects. So it, th this mental contrasting helps you to clean up your life, to get rid of those projects which are on your mind all the time, but you never get them done because you never really thought it through that this is not something which you, you want or can do. Um, but fully commit for those projects um, that you understood as being really to your heart and also feasible for you. And that's really super helpful because this being overburdened all the time is getting much better. You set now preferences and you um, can also structure your, your life or your, your weeks or your day or the next meeting or whatever in a way, so that you go for these things which are really important to you, but at the same time also um, feasible. Yeah. And I think that's that's such a, a key part of it, really, is having that obstacle, because you can do... This is something I, before finding Whoop, like I, I definitely suffer from this personally and in business and everything, is that you can, you know, have very clear what your objective is. You can uh, do all of the planning that you're going to do to get there and everything. And then you start just getting to work on it and stuff and these things come up that are unexpected and it really takes all the energy out of it. Kind of like you're saying, you know, it, it makes you want to, to give up, you know, the first time that there's something doesn't go as planned. So having that obstacle, really thinking about that before thinking of like all the list of what are different things that could not go as expected and creating a plan for that ahead of time, then it's just kind of like, uh, well, there's that, that quotes something about, you know, building your, your castles in the skies that you need to, it's really like the whoop builds the foundation under it. Uh, so I think by thinking of the, you know, what are the obstacles that are in your way? That's what you're doing is really taking it out of the, just being something that's a daydream or something that maybe isn't so real and wasting a lot of energy on it. Then you're actually able to figure out, you know, what are going to be the things that are going to stand in my way and what am I going to do when the, they happen? So that's something that I found it immensely helpful for. We say the one main inner obstacle. And why do we so um, kind of almost, you know, very strongly sort of enforce that you um, have only one wish and, and one best outcome which you identify and imagine and one obstacle in you? Um, because um, not only do we investigate these effects of mental contrasting on successful setting preferences and really going for those uh, projects that are feasible but just sort of, you know, getting a little bit looser and or really sort of um, also letting go from, from projects which are not feasible or not good for you, either way you feel, it's, it's not the right thing. 
Um, because um, we not only could show that this is actually happening, but we also looked for the mechanisms, why this is mm-hmm. happening. And we did a lot of experiments on that, and we've identified mechanisms that were uh, cognitive, we identified me- mechanisms that were motivational, and we identified mechanisms which were related how people respond to setbacks. And um, what is really interesting in these, um, what came out of these uh, experiments, is that these mechanisms, meaning these are the processes which run off and which are then helpful or responsible for you actually going and fulfilling your wishes, basically for the for the behavior change. So these mechanisms or these processes that are responsible for the behavior change are non-conscious, meaning they run off without that we are aware of. And um, so, for example, uh, what mental contrasting, this kind of imagery exercise from finding the wish and imagining the best outcome and um, identifying and imagining the um, crucial obstacle in me, what that does, it connects the outcome of the future with the obstacle in the way and the obstacle with the behavior to overcome obstacle. So it connects it in our mind. It, it builds very strong associative links, which happen in our mind without that we actually know. And these associative links between the outcome, the obstacle, the obstacle to, and the behavior to overcome obstacle, these associative links are then responsible for that I actually act in the moment that the, the obstacle occurs. And not only... Um, are these non-conscious mechanisms responsible that I just act without that I even know? Um, I also recognize the obstacles in my context better. So, for example, if my wish is to prepare myself for an exam or something, um, then I recognize that um, the the urge to um, go to an invitation for, for the movies is actually standing in the way of my doing well on the exam. Whereas otherwise, I would say, oh, great, I'm invited for for the movies. Um, Let's go. Um, But now I understand, oops, that's an obstacle to my wish that is doing well on the exam. So it's just just an example. Um, So the idea is I have these associative things which then make me act towards my wish, fulfillment, and I recognize the obstacles in my context um, so that um, I I better can identify the obstacles and then get to act. And at the same time, I get more energy. And again, uh, we did measure that by systolic blood pressure, and we also measured it by self-report. So people feel more energized, feel more energized. Oh, I I need to tackle the wish now. And then third, um, if I get negative feedback, so let's say my teacher criticizes my my efforts to to learn English, Um, if I get negative feedback, I don't take it personally. Rather, 
I say, give me, teacher, give me more feedback. I process the feedback um, and then build it, build this information which the teacher gave me into my plans to do better in the future. And all that is actually running off non-consciously, meaning I process that information instantaneously when the teacher gives me that information. And, and I don't take it personally yet. So my sense of self-competence is not diminished, which is, which is really so that you have two advantages. One is um, you can process the negative information, which very often is impeded by this kind of defensive reactions. And I'm not defensive because it's more important now to get my task done than looking at myself. And, and that's really, really nice because that mediates, as we say, or predicts then the actual behavior change. So it predicts then when I really sit down and, um, and, 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 and do the work for the, for the English exam, for example. So, so these processes are important. And these processes, they run off if you have one wish and one outcome and one obstacle, the main obstacle in the way. And then, if these obstacles are very, very difficult to overcome, so let's say these obstacles refer to strong emotions, which are very hard to control because there's so automatic, or strong impulses, strong urges, um, or very kind of strong habits, um, then um, we sort of said, okay, we complement now mental contrasting with another strategy which is called in the literature implementation intentions or if-then plans. And in the context of mental contrasting, these if-then plans come in the form of if, and then you imagine the obstacle, then I will behavior to overcome the obstacle plan. So I said before, mental contrasting sort of connects the obstacle with the behavior to overcome obstacle. So this connection is strengthened even more when we sort of add the plan because there is this if-then statement, if obstacle, then I will behavior, and that strengthens that, um, that connection so that if even if it's a strong impulse or even if it's a very strong habit, um, I can get going immediately. Um, and, and without that, I need to think. I just... And it feels afterwards more like an urge. And sometimes people not even can report then about the obstacle anymore because they just do it. Um, and, and that's really neat because we, we make use of our non-conscious um, human capacities, if you want, um, in order um, to program ourselves to act in a way um, that we already foresaw or anticipated beforehand. So that then when the obstacle is actually occurring, then we act in the in the goal directed or wish fulfillment way. Yeah, it's almost like reprogramming our our, our natural response or, or what our response has been in the past. And one of the things I really love that you said that about was feedback that you're kind of reprogramming your relationship with feedback. So it's not anymore that when your teacher says you did this wrong or you made this mistake or you get your your test back and it has red marks on it, instead of it being like, oh no, like, you know, I'm, I, I suck at this, I'll never be successful. You're turning it around into like, give me more of this because it's I, I need more uh, of this sort of guidance to figure out what are the obstacles standing in my way so that I can overcome them and actually reach my wish. Exactly. 
exactly. So that's that's kind of neat, and it's also um, it's also fun because you know not only is um, this metal contrasting with the if then plans, which we call wish outcome, imagine obstacle, imagine, and then the plan, this whoop strategy. Um, not only um, is it a discovery tour in its own right, because you discover what the wish is, you discover what is really important um, for you, what's behind all these Ferrari wishes. Um, you also discover what is in your way and what has been in your way um, in yourself, sometimes for years. But because we usually don't ask ourselves you know, where do we want to go and what is in our way? We never looked at it that way and we never discovered what the obstacle really is. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a really fun discovery in terms of what, what do I really want and what is it in me that, that stands in the way. And there is a third way um, of discovering um, in WOOP, which is you change your behavior. You know? We really would change our behavior. And by changing our behavior, we get a new, um, a new kind of relationship to people, to our work, to nature, to um, a lot of things which might have not changed for a long time in our lives. But now that we change, these things change too. And, and that is super neat because... You suddenly see something out there um, which you which you haven't seen for a long, long time, or maybe never saw, and um, and and that's that's why this is um, also um, fun. However, um, it's a skill, and you need to practice a little bit, and it costs also cognitive effort. So you need to sit down these five minutes or ten minutes. And it's a group exercise. Last, you need to do because you, you can't just say. Yeah, I take a pill and then everything is fine. Um, so you, you need to do this exercise for five or ten minutes and then you need to practice it. And once you practice it, you can do it actually much, much quicker too um, because you are already are an expert in how to really get, like you say, um, you know, behind it in, in this wide uh, asking. And you, you, you understand better where, where you need structure comes from. You understand better your obstacles. But sometimes it's getting difficult um, again. So, but you need to practice this. It's like, it's a skill like, like riding the bicycle. Once you know it and once you have practices, you, you don't forget it. Then you have a friend for life, which helps you um, actually to deal um, with, with the problems of where do I want to go? And what is in my Yeah. And I, I think one of the really fascinating things there too is that obstacle, it doesn't necessarily need to be something tangible like that uh, we talked earlier about diet plans, for example, that you're going to see a piece of cake in your refrigerator and want to eat it. It doesn't need to be just something that's actually like tangible, but it can also be something that is deeper inside of you that could be an emotional reaction to something that you can actually use this to in a sense, reprogram how you might react to something or the emotion that you might feel in that moment. It's almost uh, like mindfulness in a, in a sense because you're you're getting more of a, a control a little bit over your your reactions. Actually, it's, it's very different from mindfulness, but you're right. It is mindful in the, like mindfulness in the sense that, that you need to have the quiet, you need to have the focus 
um, you need to have the imagery, um, and, and you need to be very kind of calm. Um, but it is a structured tool. It gives you very clear instructions what you are thinking about, namely the wish, the outcome, imagine the outcome, and then only the obstacle in you, and imagine the obstacle, and then the ETH obstacle, then I will plan. So in that respect, it's it's very, um, it's much more structured. Um, also, um, the philosophy behind it is slightly different. Um, you know, with, with Wu, you take yourself out for these five minutes, you take it's really the world can stay out there and I'm just doing my own now um, and and you really sort of um, look um, okay what what you know is my wish of God standing in the way of sitting and then the plan um, but what it does it pushes you right into life again so you are engaging now in Wish fulfillment. You are investing in that. So you don't want to cope with everyday life by staying out. You want to cope by doing. Doing might imply that you don't do. Meaning, you know, if you feel you're too impulsive or so, then you regulate towards less impulsiveness. If you feel you're too passive, then you should regulate towards being more active or sort of depending on. On, on you as a person. So it just gives these four-step structure and you put in your um, uh, content. Everybody puts in the content because everybody is the best um, expert on their own lives. Um, so nobody can give you advice what you should put in there um, because you have this need and not someone else and you have the obstacle and not someone else and you have your individual experience. So so the, the content goes goes really only by you. But the idea really is it it helps you move towards the middle in the sense that if you're too extreme in one thing and you would like to change that, then you can do that. So if you, for example, have an apartment and it's really messy, okay, you can use Whoop in order to tidy it up. But if you have an apartment that is super neat and your wish is actually to finally maybe not do home kind of housework when you come home and do, and just sort of enjoy yourself a little bit more then it helps you to move again towards the middle to enjoying yourself a little bit more and being maybe less compulsive about housework so so wherever you are as an individual it really helps us to do where our wishes kind of want us to be. And so it, it, it helps you to um, integrate, to invest, to stand back if, it's, if, if this is my wish. So all these behaviors um, which I would like to um, show and, 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 and really help me to come to, to wish fulfillment, but which are a little challenging. Um, but which are feasible for me, but a little Hey there, Real Lifer. Have you downloaded the Real Life English app yet? 
On the app, Andrea and I will guide you beyond the classroom to live, learn, and even speak English in the real world. So how do we do this? To start with, you can listen to the Real Life English podcast and Beyond Borders talk show, even this very episode with digital transcripts so that you can follow along and develop your listening fluency. Plus, check dozens of definitions of all the most difficult vocabulary, idioms, phrasal verbs, slang, and so much more that you won't find anywhere else or in any other podcast. And how would you like to develop real-life speaking confidence at the touch of a button by speaking with other learners while making friends across cultures? Sounds like a dream, right? Well, now with the Real Life app, it will be a dream come true. Download the app to listen to our podcast with transcripts and definitions whenever and wherever you want and speak with people from all around the world. What are you waiting for? Join our global community today by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by going to www.reallifeglobal.com slash app, that's A-P-P, or simply search for the Real Life English app in the Google Play or Apple App Store today and let us guide you beyond the classroom to live and learn and speak English in the real world. Ah, yeah. Well, I wanted to actually get into making it a little bit actionable for people. This will be published around New Year's. So I thought I would ask you uh, your opinion on New Year's resolutions. A lot of people might be setting those now and, you know, how you go about yourself, if you do, how you go about annual planning. Um, no, there are, there are lots of data on New Year's resolutions and um, this kind of hopeless story of, you know, we all... Um, have our New Year's um, wishes and daydreams, and then after three months, um, things are just back to the old. A kind of personal observation: if if you if you run um, after January first, you have a lot of people who run with you, um, and that sort of kind of thins out um, after a while. Yeah. Um, so, so it it is hard to keep up things. Um, it is hard to make people, um, um, you know, do something new, a behavior change, and then keep up. Um, that doesn't mean that many people do. Um, now, um, do they use mental contrasting in group? Some of them might. Um, we have studies where we um, look at how many people do mental contrasting First, the positive future, and then the obstacle of reality standing in the way. Do they do that spontaneously? How, how many people just sort of do it in their daily lives? And we find relatively few, so depending on the study, but in, anything between maybe 10% and maybe um, 20%, something like that, 18% or whatever. So it's, it's not even a solid corner of us who do that spontaneously. So there is really a need to learn that tool um, in order to actually get invested and get integrated and understand what, um, how you can plan your life in a constructive way. Um, so you could, you could answer this question, yeah, because they don't, you know, only 20% do mental contrasting. For those who spontaneously do mental contrasting, maybe they're more successful. 
We never tested that. Whether they're more successful in the New Year's resolutions, but this would be a valid um, hypothesis. So if you do it spontaneously, you might be more successful. Now you can also learn it. As I said, you know, many of us learned how to ride the bicycle, so you can learn how to do whoop. Um, and um, once you have that technique and you apply it to, to a new year's resolutions, which went through this kind of exam of, is this a wish that I can, for, in principle, fulfill myself, and which is challenging. Um, and then you've really looked at the outcome and the obstacle, and if you feel, okay, the obstacle I can overcome, that might really help you um, to keep it up. However, what we also find is that it, with mental contrasting, if you have a wish for the next day or maybe for the next week or so, and you have accomplished your, your wish, then these non-conscious processes I was talking about, they dissolve. They go away. And that makes perfect sense because otherwise um, we would run around with all these associations in our mind which are not helpful anymore because we already achieved our wishes. So it makes total sense that they dissolve once the goal is achieved. So in in that respect, um, you are probably more successful if you actually use whoop as a strategy to sustain your New Year's resolutions on an everyday basis. So if you actually use this little strategy of, you know, you need to spend five minutes or so a day, maybe depending on how many books you, you, you want to do, maybe five minutes every day. It's not so much um, where you are really quiet and calm and slow and do the imagery strategy. And if you do that, um, then you should be um, much more successful to keep up these New Year's resolutions um, because it helps you to understand what New Year's resolution is actually important to me. Do I just say, oh, I should shop more or I should eat more healthy? Or do you really mean it? Because that will help you to understand what is it. Do I really want to learn French next year? Yeah, I really want to learn French. This would be so nice. Okay, so I get it through a whoop exercise. I will feel fantastic because I always wanted to learn French. And my best outcome would be finally I can really can speak in their own language to um, people in France. It would be so nice. Okay, what is my obstacle in the way? What is my obstacle? Okay, I have... What is my obstacle in me? Actually, my obstacle in me is that I have some research projects which take a lot of time and which are very, very important to me that I still want to, you know, kind of complete them. So that's standing in the way. My research, my commitment to my research projects and then commitment to teaching takes a lot of time. Hmm. So this obstacle, is that for me surmountable? Not really. I want that. I want to, to finish the, the research and I want to teach in a good way. So then maybe I need to postpone or let go from my dream of speaking 
French or the people in France, maybe. You know, I need to use my English for that. Um, so you can use this um, mental contrasting strategy not only to really go for it, okay, now I enroll in a, in a French course, but also to let go. No, this is not what I really want at the moment because there are other things which really have clear preference. Um, so now suddenly when I look at that, I don't have a bad conscience anymore the whole time that I don't speak French. I can say, okay, I really thought it through. I'm sorry, I don't have a bad conscience anymore because I have something in my life which is just more important. And by the way, I speak, you know, some English and we can communicate in English, which is sad because I really wanted to, to, to communicate in French, but but this is just not at the right time. Maybe, you know, once these projects are completed, then I can rethink again and then I do a new book. That probably, it helps you to avoid so much disappointment down the line because I think it, that tends to be the biggest the biggest letdown, right, is just that you you really think that this year is the year that you're going to get in shape or that you're going to learn French or that you're going to be, become a better cook or something like that. But you're not uh, maybe so realistic about the other demands you have in life or the other priorities. So it really helps you to prioritize to see, is this something that right now I can fit in with other things that are really important to me? Or do I need to leave it for when I have a bit more time. And all these kind of, you know, these feelings of disappointment and regret and all these having a bad conscience that I didn't do this and that and the other thing, um, they free me up now. So by not having them anymore, I can really sort of focus on, on, on the other projects, on, the, I don't know, research or, um, what, or teaching or whatever I, I want to do. And um, that is really sort of also emotionally just a big relief because I don't, I don't need to kind of hang in with these kind of self guilt and the, the self blame that I didn't do what I wanted to do, and um, so so it, it frees you up and it also tells you then at a certain point when things are done then you you reconsider that and then you can um, you know hope again um, the wish of of learning French and. Then we'll see. Maybe it, it will turn out very differently at a different point in time. That's the reason also why we say if you do a whoop exercise, don't kind of uh, warm up old whoops. Whoop is like fresh bread. You always want to have fresh bread. You don't want to warm up old bread. Um, you want to do a fresh whoop because the, the wishes change with your needs. And the needs change. Obviously, remember this experiment, you know, when people are thirsty, they have a need to drink. Okay. When people are deprived of meaning, they have a, they have a, um, uh, kind of need to get a more meaningful job. So, so these needs change. And, and that's the reason why you want to do always fresh moves because they might be different on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. They might be different to your work or on vacation or over the weekend, or depending on with whom you are um, at the moment or whether you're with your family or whether you're, you're kind of in a fitness studio or whatever. So, so do it, do it, um, do fresh moves, even if the same topic comes up over and over again, which probably will, because every one of us has, to, you know, these kind of personal vulnerabilities where we, where we just sort of need to work a little bit more on in order to um, cope with our life and master our life. Um, so they might come up very often, 
and that's fine. And if you use the Whoop app, um, that's um, an app where you have the basic instructions and where you can put in the wish, outcome, obstacle, and plan. And for the imagery, for the outcome and the obstacle, you freely imagine. But the other um, topics you, you really put in and it forces you to be very specific there. Um, and if you use the Whoop app, um, it saves you your Whoop. And um, so you can look back and so say, so what, what did I move in the past? And you will see similar wishes come, come up very often. And um, that means, oh, okay, this is an area where I need a little bit more um, uh, support. And you give the support to yourself. Um, so you, you, you emancipate yourself. You don't, um, maybe you don't need a trainer, and, uh, you know people, instructor or whatever, or even a therapist or so, so you can, you can um, give advice for yourself. So Whoop is your friend. It's it's you talk to yourself in Whoop. And, and some people sort of say, oh, you need to be very self-reflective. No, not at all. In the contrary. You don't want to look at yourself. It's unevaluative. You just look out. You look, what is my wish? Ah. Huh? What is the best outcome? What is the obstacle in me? Feel it out. What is it that comes up? Which feels then, hmm, that's probably what it is. And with a little bit of humor, you can ask the why questions and, and sort of peek behind the wall. Um, but it's unevaluative. You don't need to evaluate yourself. You don't need to be self-aware. You don't need to be self-reflective. It's the I who looks out. I mean, I, I. Whoever you are, the eye looks out. It's not that you look at yourself. And that's very important. So it's not the me, it's the I who looks out in the world. Um, and that's very important because, you know, you don't need to evaluate yourself. You don't need to reflect. Um, it's, it's, that's all not important. Play with it. And enjoy it, that, that, the discovery tour and, um, and customize it to your own life. And you can use it for, for small wishes, you know, tonight. What is my wish for tonight? On, or next week or until the New Year's. How, how, what is my wish for a good ending for the, for the, uh, for the old year? That helps you, by the way, we did some research on that. That helps you. A good ending for the old year helps you to transition well into the new year. And then um, you can also say, okay, what is what is my what is my wish for the new year? What do I what what do I want for the new year? And then you do the whoop exercise. And it will give you a much clearer idea. In yourself, let the excuses go. You can't change you can't change the society. Um, you can't change um, your company. You can't change your boss. You can't change your partner. You can't change your kids. You can't change that. But you can change yourself. And by changing yourself, these other things might fall off. So and that's what why we say inner obstacle. Not it's my boss's or my student's fault or whatever. It's in me. So... It might be my feelings towards my boss or my idea about the students or my irrational belief about what I can do or not. 
do. So this is important. Yeah, it's the proactive reproach instead of uh, instead of being reactive. So what can I actually do in this situation to make a difference instead of trying to say, blame everything else for it? Yes, but the the what I need or what I can do that comes later. First, I need to face the obstacle. And and often when people do, they forget the obstacle because the obstacle is a little bit more cumbersome. So they forget to face the obstacle. Only when you face the obstacle, then you can find a good way to overcome the obstacle, a very kind of super specific way to overcome the obstacle. Because these non-conscious processes, they only run off if you are very specific and not kind of long-winded. So you might be long-winded in finding the wish and finding the outcome and finding the obstacle and finding the behavior to overcome obstacle. But when you then put it in the app or when you put it into into your mind, you, you need to be very, very specific. Few words are enough. That's great. And so the timing, what would that look like? Uh, say, it sounds like it'd be great to, you know, if you're going to do some New Year's resolution or some some goals for 2022 to actually like whoop them so that you're you're coming with a more realistic approach about what other priorities do you have in your plate? Can you actually fit this in this year? And then from there, you mentioned that you could actually do this every day, but uh, how might you battle the resistance a little bit? Because maybe you say, um, say one of my goals is to learn guitar in 2022. And so I decide that I need to build a habit of playing the guitar every day, but there's going to be inevitably, even if I've figured out, okay, this is a priority for me, I'm going to make the time. There's going to be certain days where things will come up. Um, how do you battle that resistance in the day-to-day that people might might still experience even having done the, the whoop earlier on? Right. So so as I said, once you, once you um, um, accomplish a wish, um, which you treat it with whoop, um, the, the non-conscious processes are gone. So if you want to learn the guitar, um, you might do a whoop for where you want to be maybe in, in a year, that's fine. Um, but you might also want to um, do a whoop as for the for the more short term. Um, and you can do it maybe for a week, but you can do it also for the next 24 hours. So today, um, you know, what day is today? We have Sunday, so... Um, so what is my wish with respect to playing the guitar maybe for for the rest of the Sunday? And then what you can do is um, you say, okay, my wish for the next 24 hours is that I at least sit down and play, I don't know, 20 minutes of guitar. Um, because I want to do that every day, actually. But 20 minutes might be a pretty feasible thing for me. And um, it might still be very challenging, like you say, you know, um, how can I keep it up now? Okay, so then my wish would be um, to have these 20 minutes. So how nice would it be if, um, you know, in the next 12 hours, I would have, would be able to say, okay, I play the guitar. And then you feel out, really, what is the best outcome? How would you feel? Relief or happiness or pride or accomplishment? So feel it out, feel it out. Okay, you need to say, I can't, okay. And then imagine that, so that this really kind of glues you to the sky of learning guitar, no? Um, and then um, you switch gears and you say, okay, what is it in me that stands in the way? What holds me back from spending these 20 minutes um, until uh, the next, you know, until tomorrow? 
on um, on playing the guitar. What is it he needs? And then you discover a lot of interesting things. You, know? you might say, ah, listless, tired, person. And then you ask him, why I'm so tired and playing the guitar? But when it comes to looking at Facebook, I'm not tired at all. Um, um, and and you can you can actually go there. And very often you might discover an, an emotion, anxiety that you might not do, not be able to do it. Or, um, it might be just sort of a, an inertia because you, you feel, oh, am I allowed to do that? Can I allow myself to do this? Um, all sorts of things. Um, or maybe I'm angry at myself when I play guitar because look, I'm just too perfectionistic or whatever. You know, whatever comes up in the person himself or herself. And then you, you look at it, you really face it. You say, ah, interesting, you imagine that obstacle, you really imagine it occurring. And that might give you a sting in, in the stomach, but um, but that's good. If it's emotional, then then you, then you realize, okay, I hit it, no? Um, and then you imagine um, that obstacle occurring when it, when it comes in the next 24 hours. And you say, okay, what can I do if that anxiety creeps up? Or this kind of feeling of that I'm not good enough, it creeps up. Okay, what can I do then? Maybe it's very simple. I just start playing the guitar. Whatever is feasible for you at the moment that is in the service of playing the guitar. And then you do if obstacle. So if I'm whatever you said, I'm anxious that I might not be able to do it, then I will just take the guitar and start playing. And then you are into it. So you did it then for, for for the next day. Then after that, you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And it takes you maybe five minutes to push yourself into guitar playing by activating these non-conscious processes. So that to, by, by doing the womb exercise, you activate these non-conscious processes to help you. So it's, it's, a, it's a support system. Like you said, it's just five minutes and it's something you could fit in, I think, throughout your, your day, your week. So, uh, I don't know, I do weekly planning at least. So it's like, it, it's, I think it's a great thing to look at what you want to accomplish in the next week and to say, okay, you know, uh, what is it really that these different things I want to do? What are the obstacles that I might, uh, encounter? Take only one. Yeah. One at a time. Take, when you do a whoop, um, rather than having too many obstacles that will prevent these non-conscious processes from happening. So, so take one at a time. Just do more whoops. That's perfectly fine. And once you really know it, you can do a whoop really quickly. So let's say, I don't know, you need to give a talk or something. And, um, and you're, you think about what if, what is my wish for this talk really? Okay. This is a, it's a huge public thing or whatever. And, um, so you give a talk. Okay. What, what do I really want? I, what do I really want? Oh. Maybe, I don't know. I want to get the book message across. Okay. So how nice would it be if the book message got across? How would I feel? Oh, then I would feel at least this talk had a certain meaning because it might help some people. Okay, good. Okay. Ah, I would feel that way. So I would feel kind of more meaningful. Okay, good. Okay. Imagine this feeling. And then what is it in me that stands in the way? What is meaning? Okay. This anxiety of public performance or something. Or maybe, you know, that I feel um, 
I have a headache today. And, um, and I, my belief is with headaches, you can't give talks. Okay. So it's okay. If this belief comes up, then I say, come on, it's not the first talk. Okay. With headaches or something, you know, it's just an example. Um, but you can do it then really quickly, you know, before you even go on stage to go quick, quick, quick. The only thing you need to do is you need to really feel out how would I feel if I fulfilled myself that is How would I feel? Yeah. And then the obstacle in me. So this anxiety that I might not be able to do it or something. So how how does this feel? And then you would say, yeah, that stings. Okay, that's good. Okay. And then you, you come up with the data to overcome the thing. And then if that anxiety comes. Yeah. So you can do it for the personal things, for, for work objectives, for uh, your annual planning, for your weekly planning, for your something happening in the next 24 hours. So it's it's really versatile. And it sounds like even the more you practice this, the more it can just become something that uh, you can quickly go through in your head just to prepare yourself for some challenge that you have or task that you need to accomplish or whatever the case is. Maybe before you're about to get in a conversation and uh, speaking in another language or something and you're nervous, right? <laughs> about speaking English or speaking French with someone and uh, you could you could go through it and stuff and, and even deal with, you know, the obstacle that's going to come up that I'm going to feel anxious or if I make a mistake, I'm going to feel uh, embarrassed or something and kind of filling that out. If people laugh at me, that's another really exactly, big Exactly, exactly. People laugh at me or they don't take me seriously anymore. They don't like me anymore or, or you know, and then, and then by looking at it, they don't take me seriously anymore. Come on, they know I'm not a, I'm not a, a native speaker. Why should they not take me seriously anymore? Okay. So if I have the feeling they don't take me seriously anymore, then I just talk and, and then you're right in. Um, so, so that, then that is, um, that is super helpful. Um, you, you, you just need to practice a little bit and customize it to your, um, to your life and then be patient, be patient. It's not really that you need to fulfill every wish. It's more about getting started, getting in, getting invested. And then you will have so many insights because this kind of starting to work on the guitar will lead you to a lot more um, other wishes and 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 other um, kind of projects. Um, and you have a lot of insights. So, for example, with this French, no, the idea of the, that that I might put that on a back burner or let go um, gives you a lot of insight. But you know, maybe some other projects they they belong to the back burner too. Um, because they they um, actually interfere, and we showed that you know this mental contrasting helps not only um, when it comes to to fulfilling wishes and let go from wishes, but it also helps in emotional regulation. So you know, um, regulating anger or regulating anxiety or regulating um, regret, for example, um, or or disappointment. Um, so you can you can actually regulate these emotions um, by by using the strategy. So if you want to be calmer in a certain situation, or um, if you want to listen more, or very interpersonal things too, and, and or if you, if you want to take more responsibility, for example. So it's not only me, me, me. Um, you know, I want to grab things for me, my wishes. It's wishes also for interpersonal relationships. It's wishes for 
for, for um, helping others and being a better parent or being a better son or daughter, maybe. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, so Thanksgiving is just over. So, you know, just contributing to the Thanksgiving dinner. So, so it's very, very um, seemingly um, trivial things, but which can have um, you know, big interpersonal uh, consequences. Have you used this much with parents to help them with, because all parents want their the best for their children, right? And they want to teach their children skills to deal with different obstacles in life. Is that, uh, have you had that experience yet or is it something that you would recommend? Um, anecdotally, yes. And, um, and what we find, but really it's, it's, we don't have empirical data on that, um, that the relationships from parents to, um, children gets much better because very often, um, you know, say you, you have an adolescent child or something and, and you wish so strongly for them that they would go to college or that they do good in the, the um, school or that they have the right friends or whatever. Um, and, and it's getting a little bit of a touchy subject between the, the, the adolescent and, and, and the parent because the adolescent knows that the parent wants to push them in, the, in a certain direction where they might not necessarily want to go. And um, so um, when, when you do the, the walk, then um, the, the, the listening part of the parent is a, is a lot easier and the, and, the, and the child feels much more heard um, um, because now the parent um, sometimes discovers that your own kind of wants and wishes on the next generation might not be might not be um, a good way to to get more harmonious with the relationship, and, and or the other way around, a parent might not be involved at all, um, and sort of um, wishes to be more involved. And also, I mean, wherever the parent comes from, um, but what we find um, anecdotally is that the relationships get much better, and we also find that in in partner relationships. So we did study some. I'm down-regulating anxiety in romantic relationships and um, and heightening commitment. Um, and also, um, we did studies on negotiations. Um, so when you, when you negotiate, and we used some paradigms from um, behavior econ- um, economics. And, um, and what is really interesting, so um, mental contrasting helps to take perspective of the other side um, to be more cooperative and to be more integrated that is to find more win-win situations and um, not get stuck in zero-sum um, uh, solutions so so finding win-win or integrated solutions um, is something which we which we find in in, in mental contrasting um, more than in all control groups when the positive thinking alone just thinking about the obstacle or no um, instructions, um, mental contrasting is, is very sort of, it's, it, it takes the perspective also to the other side. One, one other thing I wanted to quickly ask about, uh, I know we're coming towards the end of our time, but uh, I thought it'd be really interesting just because, for example, in the United States, culturally, we're very much about go for your dreams. You know, uh, If you fail, it's no big deal. Just dust yourself off and try again. But depending on the culture you're in, maybe there's a lot more adversity to failure. And there's even a lot of judgment around, you know, if you fail, kind of like a, maybe I told you so, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't take risks. So 
there's more risk adverse and less risk adverse cultures. Uh, and do you have any recommendations maybe for people if they come from one of these more risk adverse cultures where they, there's a big fear because they feel like if they, they try to go after their dreams and they fail, that they'll be judged for it. Is there anything in your research you've found that, that might help them? I think this is interesting um, because I myself come from a culture which is much more risk averse than the United States. And um, if, if in, in my upbringing, you know, to have some bankruptcy is the end of the world. I mean, this is the, so, um, but but because um, mental contrasting and group ask the people to put their own wishes, outcomes obstacles and behavior to overcome obstacles in this structure, it, it only gives the structure. Um, um, the cultural context and the cultural vulnerabilities of people living in that context comes in right away. Um, because, you know, if I'm raised in a more risk of nurse um, uh, culture, then um, my wish might be a different one than if I'm raised in a, in a highly uh, risk um, of, or, or much less risk averse culture. Um, if I'm raised um, in a culture where um, yeah, people are, are just sort of very kind of um, movable or very um, um, if interested in um, you know certain life domains or so, then then you will find that 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 is reflected in the wish, outcome, obstacle, and plan. Because it's so individualized, um, you, 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 if, if I'm raised, I mean, I had this, this example of the, of the tiny apartment. So if I'm raised in, in, in a culture which, where the, the apartments are always super tidy, um, then maybe my wish is, um, you know, to be a little more loose. On, on tidiness, but if I'm raised um, in a culture where things are just sort of a, 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 a mess in, in daily life, then my wish is maybe um, towards more, of, um, a little bit more tidiness. Or it's the other way around. Maybe I don't have a need to be tidy if I'm in a, in a culture where things are more loose and um, um, in, 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 the, in, the, in the culture where I need to be. Um, it's very tidy. Um, maybe my, my wish is towards that. It depends on the relationship between the cultural context and myself, where these needs and where these wishes come up. So that being said, um, in cultures where I have the responsibility for my own life, group and mental contrasting are important. But in cultures where the, the normative context decides everything. I don't really need mental contrasting or group because the self-regulation is not necessary. The regulation comes from outside. Now, we have fewer and fewer such cultures, um, but group is a change agent. And in a, a life domain or in a culture where I cannot change, where there is no way of changing, I don't need mental contrast. But there where I can make changes, there I need mental contrast. So I think from a, from a cultural point of view, that's really important. Because um, 
let's say the pandemic, okay? I can use whoop to understand that I cannot get rid of the pandemic. But I can also use whoop to understand that I can protect myself against the virus and my my family and my friends and and sort of act in a way responsible for the society. So I can do that, but I cannot through my own action, not me at least, and probably not you either, um, get rid of the uh, pandemic. Now, the medical people who are working on the virus, it's a different story. But, but, but for us, we need to understand where is the limits of our, of our um, possibilities to act. Well, it's been an absolute delight, Gabriel. Uh, I feel like, well, I'm really looking forward to listen to this again and, you know, use it in my planning of 2022 and, and even before that. So, um, I want to be respectful of your time. So basically, uh, I wanted to ask you if you have any final considerations for the audience before we wrap up. Yes. I think I have one really, really important, um, uh, point, which is, you know, I've been talking about, um, but from what I've been talking about, you will not be able to, to do, um, um, so, um, for that, um, because we were, you know, um, sort of having, we have done studies on that it works and how it works. And then we did intervention studies that it also works, um, in everyday life. So we then, um, did three things. Um, we created a website where you can actually get the instructions of who, um, written, video, audio. You get links to the research. Um, you also get links to how to reach us in case you have questions. Um, and that website is called whoop, W-O-O-P, my life. Dot org. And it is translated in, I think, in something like 13 languages or so. So it's English, but it has also other languages. Um, and um, so that's the website you want to go on. And um, if you want to learn whoop, go especially to the practice part, um, because there, um, as I said, you have um, audios explaining whoop. Um, also, um, audios and videos to guide you through a whoop so you can actually try it out. We have a, a little computer um, exercise where you can actually fill in your wish outcome obstacle and plan. Um, and you, you can always reach us um, for questions. So that's really important. And then we have a whoop app. And you can download the Whoop app. Neither the website nor the app cost anything. So um, you can download the Whoop app and um, that will prompt you for wish, outcome, obstacle and plan. So that the imagery of the outcome and the obstacle, they are free. Mental imagery, so you don't need to put it down. But the other four steps, you need to put it down. And that's really helpful. Um, um, I use the app all the time because it forces you, actually, uh, it forces you to be very specific what you wish outcome after your plan is, and that's important so that these non-conscious processes can, can run off. 
So um, download the app if you want and, 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 and use the app. You can also use is the app also Whoop My Life, or is it just will people find it by just searching Whoop Whoop app? The, the Whoop app. Um, I mean, if, if you prefer, you can do it um, in written form on on the on the um, pages um, we have in the computer, or just sort of on three pages. You can do it just mentally, but the combination out of mental and and written is really helpful because um, you don't need to think about the. The instructions anymore. Um, you, you just can focus on filling in the, the four steps, and then um, and and then do it every day. Um, and how can I do it every day without that I forget or that, that I feel uh, for five minutes? Uh, I, I, I better go on Facebook for the five minutes or something, <laughs> so that you that you actually um, get your um, your whoop also done. Um, glue it to an activity which you do every day. So, for example, always do it um, when you make your coffee or something, or after making the coffee, when you sit down with the coffee, or always do it after brushing your teeth or something. So do it in on a daily activity which is already in place, and and um, and do it then, and then start getting accustomed. And you will see you get, um, you want to do that then, um, on a regular basis because it helps you structure your day and it helps you also to really get a, a lot more um, organized and, and regulated um, in terms of um, your, your your wishes and, and, and your, your everyday life. So so in that respect, um, I would have never done the website or the, the app or the, uh, written the book. Um, um, in 2014, there is um, a, a a book published called Rethinking Positive Thinking. Um, and um, and I would have never done that. Um, it's in, in Penguin Random House. Um, and, and, and there was a big thing for me because, you know, academia is a very sheltered place. Um, and I would have never gone out of my comfort zone uh, without hope. So, so in that, in that respect, um, it, it really uh, is helpful because you discover a lot of new things. That's amazing. So we'll link uh, the website, the app, and the book also on the show notes, which will be linked in the description of this podcast. And thanks again, Gabrielle, for all of your time and your wisdom. And it's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much. That was um, great. And thank you for your patience and um, and your really great questions. And um, let me know if, um, if anything comes up. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can find all the mentioned links and resources from this show on the show notes at reallifeglobal.com. It is also linked in the description of this episode. If English fluency is important to you, then remember to check out our Real Life app, where you can practice listening to native speech and speak with other learners from around the world, while also discovering new cultures. In addition to that, you can get a full interactive transcript and vocabulary for this interview. You will find that linked in the description or just search for Real Life English in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. For now, remember that no matter what divides us, that which unites us is far greater. See you on the next show.